<laughs> Good morning, Shelly. Good morning, Kat. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, goose bit cold here in New South Wales, all yeah. locked down in Still my in lockdown. COVID Greater Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're still in lockdown in Victoria too. <laughs> All righty. Ending in a hurry. Um, no. <laughs> so we're going to do part two of breed traits. So okay. part one, we kind of went over like what a cold-blooded horse is and a hot-blooded horse and the way that they react differently Yeah. Um, in their behaviour traits. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today, Shelley? I think we've got some other like, cool kind of breed type things to have a look at that I'd like to talk about as I said just working with people and their horses there's just certain things within certain breeds that tend to cause problems or turn people inside out or just frustrate them yeah yeah um and then other things about breeds about you know the particular um world that those horses tend to tend to come from and then kind of connections to those worlds which then kind of transfer into kind of behavioural traits. Like like to say we'll, we'll probably talk, have a chat about the quarter horse and um, quarter horse tends to come from the Western world and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the impacts of the, the sports or the disciplines that those horses come from and kind of traits that they'll have because yep. of that. Well, should we start there? Um, with the quarter horses? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Um, adore quarter horses, adore work, working with them. Um, what experience have you had with them? Um, I've had experience with most horses but not from yeah. a riding them perspective. I, I'm very – I like my dressage horses or ponies. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I have had stuff to do with – they're the lovely, quiet, take anywhere, do anything, best temperaments. But I'm not sure that that's the quarter horse because of them being quarter horses, but to do with what happens to them earlier on in life. Yeah. So with the quarter horses, you've got different types. Most people don't realise this is different types within quarter horses depending on the particular job that they're um, their lines, quarter horse come from yep. different lines. So you've got, um, you've actually got race type, race racing lines. So in, in America, quarter horses actually, there's a race, there's a racing industry for quarter horses. Um, and they're very much, even to look at and everything like that, they're very much look like thoroughbreds, act and look yep. like thoroughbreds. Um, I'm sure the quarter horse racing people out there would just be mortified. I probably said that, <laughs> but to me, they're very, they, you know, if, if, because there's not many here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, because we don't have quarter horse racing. Well, not that I know of anyway. Um, but yeah, to me or to people on the street, they look like a, a thoroughbred. So um, they're, they're taller and lankier yeah, and athletic and fabulously yeah. beautiful and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> not biased athletes. in the slightest. No. Um, then you got the more ranch type, ranch, ranch bread. Uh, yeah. You know, so these guys are really beautiful all rounders. You know, they're they just... so that would be like similar to our stock horsey. Yeah, kind of stock horsey thing. Yeah, but then like you know, so you can you know jog along with them and check fence yep. lines and also buzz around and and things like that. Um, real lovely, versatile um, yep. breed. 
built for being ridden, so confirmation type is more prone to that. Then you got the halter type. Um, halter type, halter type quarter horse is, you know, kind of lines dictated to, you know, wanting to score well in, in quarter horse halter in classes. Yep. Yeah, and they tend to what they're most known for, well known for in my, where I come from I'm working with them is they tend to have things that can a few problems with them like tiny feet and straight legs and yeah I was gonna say very and, tiny contracted feet yeah and I think you get some of your muscle stuff going on yeah this muscle thing kind of thing and I'm sure now all the quarter horse halter people now are hating on me for saying that but that's that's what that's little predecision that comes when I think of the, the holder type but besides that beautiful horses it's these ones here if you listen to the part one of this podcast it's more of the halter lines that I tend to have more of that cold bloody the, when yeah. I get worried I want to stand still <laughs> I don't know whether in my mind I have this little crazy story that goes well that makes sense because you've been bred to look beautiful and stand still <laughs> in an environment that causes you that's, a lot yeah, of anxiety yeah, yeah so maybe that's something to it yeah but there again that's just um that's just confirmational bias coming up with yeah, reasoning yeah. that fits my beliefs <laughs> um then you got the more the cutting type yeah. um the cutting type um you got raining type um, and there's probably a few other types. But I kind of tend distinct. to come across like your Western pleasure horses yeah, the as pleasure well. Types. Yeah, pleasure types and things like that. Um, however, I I think I think the difference is with the lot of the quarter because quarter horses that everyone has this like I'll get you know if they get worried or, or something a little bit nervous riding like I'll go out and I'll buy a quarter horse because they've got this reputation of being you know, just lovely, easygoing horses, which they are. But I actually believe actually every horse is a lovely, easygoing horse, if you want to be honest. It just it's how it's it's how it's been um it's how it's trained and been managed and everything like that that really determines that. But I think the advantage of the quarter horse is the fact that it does come from the Western world. And yep. I'm going to have everyone in the English world, English discipline world hating on me. Um but there are just some little differences and although yes, you know, I've got this People out there going to say, you know, these, you know, the futurity events with the with the the quarter horses, whether it be the reining or the cutting or or, or whatever. And the, we can go down that same line with your show jumpers. They have know, age yeah. classes as well, so yeah, no one can. side's so, better than the other. Yeah, so there can be a lot of criticism for that. However, the Western world just has some attitudes about it, yeah. which I believe is that does actually set horses, horses up, up better to really understand the world like I'm just going to mention just a couple of things okay just a couple of things I'm not going to go into necessarily the training of it but they're just a couple of things first of all the horses are trying to do normally are quite a um especially if it involves cattle work um the horses tend to really get because the horse gets given a, it's like it's like a, they get to learn their job and just say one little thing um from that is if you know you put a horse in an arena and you just want to ride around do dressage do circles that is hard to make sense of if you're a horse you want me to do what okay <laughs> and why What's the purpose of this like you know, they might not think like that but yeah, when yeah your job is is to go into this space and chase that cow that makes sense yeah 
Okay, so just say horses learning things forward, learning about what they got to do because they got to reference, they got to follow something and do this and do that. That I think gives the horse a lot of clarity about what it's doing instead of just doing endless, mindless circles, which is just like to it is a bit like it's difficult for them to actually identify the point and sometimes yeah. they can struggle with that. Um, so just the fact that it might involve chasing a cow, doing this to a cow, holding this point or whatever, doing this. I think there's the, the jobs that some of the Western worlds get. I also think this is why some with show jumping, sometimes they can have a lot of success with horses because horses go, oh, I've got to jump that jump. I'm yep. going to that jump and jumping over that jump. I think there's a purpose there and that's why I said, I said certain things in the Western world plus also show horses can really thrive in that because they get it. Yeah. There's something else to reference besides just, riding forward in a circle yeah yeah it's more to it <laughs> so I think that's leads them to a bit more clarity quicker um so this is I said I'm just picking some specific things out of the western world which I think are gold the next thing is is their attitude now okay I come from the English world and then I get introduced to the world of rodeo <laughs> Okay, and uh, and just going and watching, and I never forget the first time I, I I went and watched rodeo. It was more like a it was a rodeo practice, right? Where they were just training rodeo training for timed events. Yeah, ropers and you know how a bunch of them and you know all the other kind of a timed event kind of people just just training. And I remember that the day before I'd just been at a dressage competition competing. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I'd got into trouble <laughs> for cantering in the warm up. At some someone had taken offence to the amount of cantering that I'd been doing, and I'd been told I wasn't to canter as much because I was upsetting someone's horse. Right? Oh, I no. actually don't think I was doing anything. Just take it easy because this person here was not this horse wasn't coping. And um, and there I was at this rodeo training with all these people with kids as well, little kids were there, and everyone was just just cantering around everybody else and no one, like, and parents were with their little beginner kids or whatever were just letting their kid go off, you know, to all these adults that were cantering fast past it and round past it and just doing their own thing, but no one cared. That was normal. Yeah. And all the horses were fine with that. <laughs> you know, it was just like because they didn't see a problem with just working in groups and going fast and doing all this, the horses didn't care either. The little kids didn't care. It was normal. Different and I thought, wow, different environment, but it was just shows you the impact of what a human perceives on what the horse ended up coping with. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, and I remember I then started taking my dressage horses off to rodeo training. Not that they did it, but I just rode around in that environment. Yeah. And um, and they were really lovely people. They actually helped me out. What they did with my horses is that a couple of them just took them um, and ponied them. Yeah. And ponied the horses around. And it was like here I had this my dressage horse, my dressage horse at the time uh, called Scooter, who was who in my opinion was scared of everything um not that he was but anyway they just ponied him around you know rode another horse next to him and on the other side of him and just did a lot of things 
he got over that in approximately 35 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got friends. And it was just that attitude and the other horse's attitude and the people's attitude and um, it was just really amazing to put my horses in that environment with those attitude of people Yeah, and it was no issue and they just, yeah, it was just like, yeah, and so therefore just taking I think horses I there come and across different. Those at the difference in attitudes too of if I'm working on a horse and it's misbehaving, mm. yeah, I don't want to define into English versus Western, but Western type people are more than happy for the horse to be reprimanded for its bad behavior yeah. compared to other people who are like, oh, you can't hit it because it might get upset. Yeah, they had this thing that I learned from the Western world was just like. And I say it even when I'm when I'm talking to people and I'm training. It's uh, there's a lot of things that I say a lot, and one of the things yeah. is like, give him a job. He's got to do his job. Yeah, that's the job. That's the job. Got to do the job. And they and, tend to English people, and I've been guilty of it too. You don't want to upset the horse, so you tiptoe around it and do things to try and keep them happy. But in the long run, it's yeah. all those things add up to all this behaviour. It's yeah. really, really bad. Yeah. It's just more black and white. There's And the horses, I, and I just see the horses, they were, those horses, I'm, they were just happier. I'm sorry, they yes. were content. Yes. They were not shut down robots in learned helplessness. Not at all. You know, they were just calm. They were just calm and. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a really good environment. It was a really good world to enter in because that's really what I took from it. And I've, I learned a lot from being associated with that world. Um, the next thing that they do, which I said, I just want to pick those couple of things that the Western world tend to do um, that I find is gold that you don't see necessarily in the English disciplines is also they just they tie their horses up. They do tie up training. Yeah. And, oh, there's people I know that I'm going to get hate mail for this. But, you know, and I practice up tying up training with horses and people think that's so terrible, you know. That's evil to keep them tied up or, you know, when they get upset, you just so, you make sure you tie them somewhere very safe, but they learn yeah. how to tie. You have a routine of how you tie. So I have a routine. My routine is, is I work the horse and then it gets tied up. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I leave it tied up for varying, like increasing increments of time as it learns to yeah. cope. But I don't, if that horse has been agitated being tied up, I don't go and put it in the paddock. I wait till it's yeah. calm and then it goes in the paddock. And I learnt that from the Western world. But And people can think that's really evil, these tie-up poles and how terrible they are and this is evilness to do that. And horses will just go into learned helplessness. No, it's like they've got to learn how to be tied up because then you go and it's not fair to go and take that horse to a show and have it have tied up with the, at the float for a long period of time in that environment. Yeah. Um, you teach a lot of good things when the horse is being tied up, you know, that it is doing a job when it's being tied up. It's it's yeah. being tied up. I th- Sorry, I think we need to explain when we're talking about a horse being tied up too, we're not talking about it being tied up long enough that it can eat the grass no, and just, that it can yeah. <laughs> yeah. have oh, its look, bag you- of lucerne or its hard feet in front of it or anything else. Like that. It well, literally some- is... Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. There is a time and a place. That. Yeah, but um, that's but, not trying yes. to distract it. No, so it's, that it can cope with standing there. That's correct. Yeah, it's not have to cope. Doesn't have to cope with tied up. Tying up is a particularly trained thing in the Western world. 
yeah. they teach them to tie up and it does a lot of benefits but the thing is it's for a job you can't without teaching a horse to do that it therefore just experiences this restraint and it experiences a lot of frustration and concern and feeling threatened and can end up in a lot of horrible vices and stressing the horse out. So the Western world taught me about tying up training. You teach yeah. a horse to tie up and stand there, yeah. you know, and you don't have to do it in a cruel, horrible way of leaving them for 16 hours until they've no, completely no. given up. You teach them and you just teach it by gradually expecting them to stay there longer by having a routine and pattern about it so they learn how to do it. Um, but yeah, actually, and you're not going to teach a horse to tie up that can't stand still when you're ground working it. No, so they do a lot of work. You just don't then just go and if you want to have a disaster, take a horse that doesn't know anything about pressure and tie it to something hard, <laughs> and you'll end up with a dead horse or smashed property or smashed yeah. something yeah. with a big vet bill at least. But yeah, you'd be really smart about it, but you train them to do that. So that's what I got from the Western world. So, of course, all these people they go and they, you know, the quarter horses are the, and these lovely, quite good mounts. And they go and buy them and they just love them because they're so easy to deal with because they're being taught to tie up and yeah. they can cope with other horses running around them. You know, that's why. It's not necessarily a breed trait. It's the world they've come from yeah. has has a different attitude um, about what a horse can and can't cope with or what a, what a horse jobs are not. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that, that is woven into the breed. But as a breed itself, they do come, there's a variety of breed lines within quarter horses and they are all have, uh, a, just say, um, they're all able to excel at certain particular disciplines, whether it be racing, whether it be um, ranch sorting, whether it be raining, whether it be cutting or whether it be specifics of halter or, or whatever. There's, yeah, but that's the... That's the deal with the with the quarter horses, but I yeah. think it's the influence of the world and the breeders and stuff that they come from that actually gives the breed um, a breed a lot of kind of gold stars. Yeah. Mm. Um, look, the next breed I'd love to talk about is a breed that's very close to my heart, and that's the Welsh cobs. Yeah. Yeah, they're also. Um, They've also bought because people think as well Welsh cobs are these lovely, easygoing, uh, smaller horses uh, that come in very pretty colours <laughs> and they can turn people inside out as well. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the Welsh cobs because I have a lot of experience. And do you have much experience with Welsh cobs or Welsh cob crosses? Um. I've had the opportunity to work very closely with a few of them and we have had so much fun. Yeah, yeah, I adore these little horses. These horses have got big hearts. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so you find the Welsh Cobb or the Welsh Cobb Crosses. Yep. But I want to talk about them and it will lead into a really cool discussion because when these horses rock up, they, they, are, they are in my top kind of, mm, my top five of problem horses, the Welsh yep. Cobb, Welsh Cobb Crosses. Um, <clears throat> and their problems are associated, there's two. One is cantering and the other one is um, like people that struggle with cantering. Yep. Um, or actually there's three. Sorry, there's three problems. Ones that struggle with cantering, they, they struggle to get the horse to canter and the horse can get more rushy. Yeah. 
And therefore, this is the second one, pulling, yeah. okay, really heavy in the hand. Or three, that can be the opposite and be not want to go forward and can buck and not want to go forward. Yeah. The opposite. And I just want to say a few things about the Welsh Cobb and the Welsh Cobb crosses that people don't uh, might not understand. They just want to go out and buy one um, because they've heard they're really good. So there's two types of Welsh Cobbs. There's driving type and riding type information um, and different kind of ease so some of the welsh cobs um welsh cobs again when they feel threatened um they tend to throw either to um horses that want to move their feet yeah and then the ones that act they can act more cold bloody they're gonna stand still and fight yeah, you. yeah so the people that have problems with the horses that won't go forward their horses again that's a big red flag everyone you got a welsh cob that is won't go forward Normally these horses can also be buckers and kickers and biters as well. They're yeah. pulling they're they're going towards more cold bloody when they feel threatened, they will flip more into wanna go slower and they'll flip into fight. Yeah. So they'll be wicked out of nowhere. And then <laughs> because these horses, I love them because they're, you know, they're all horses are smart, but the Welsh cobs are special, <laughs> special little case, they will learn that. They will yeah. learn. They will, so they learn evasions and stuff like that pretty yeah. damn good. Real so that's smart. that type. But the other ones I want to talk about, the ones that tend to rush and also a big thing about Welsh co- cobs that I found, especially with their problems that people have with cantering them, they're like, and this goes for a number of breeds, <clears throat> even some quarter horse breeds and, you know, even some of the other cold blood like Frisians and everything like that, a number of things is, and another reason why I go in the round pen first is that these horses are kind of not, Cantering's not their kind of natural gait. Yeah. Okay. I have an Arab like that. Yeah. And lots of horses do. I don't really want to put even like a breed on it, but it's just the people that these are the main problems that tend to come with these horses is they struggle with canter. And it's because they're just not, you know, when they want to go fast in the paddock, they might go for a bigger trot. Yeah. Or a gallop, but they don't canter. They don't. It's not like, it's just not one of their, it's not their go-to speed thing. So they tend to be really good at trotting and they'll have and some Welsh cobs have so you know, and that's why you see them at those Welsh cob shows. And also with the Arab shows, they trot them out. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Which always I find horrifying. But anyway, that's another that's another podcast. <laughs> another podcast in itself. Oh, in hand get, showing. Oh, trying to get I just I'll just say one thing. Uh, I've had a number of things, you know, I've got you know, show Arabs or show Welshies that you gotta get off you know, off the freaked out tree after they've been gone to a show where they've been in hand <laughs> yeah, and then trying to get, calm them down from that experience. But anyway, that's, that's another thing. So these horses here, what I want to say, some horses are just not, can is just not their natural. They don't feel that balanced at it. They've got to do a, they can absolutely canter. There might yeah. be nothing wrong with them, but they have to do a lot of practice at it. Yeah. they got to practice it. So, um you've got to basically allow them to practice the canter transition a lot and then get good at it. No, really different than standard breads that come to me off the track. Yeah. It's just not their, it's not their go-to thing and you've got to respect it. So just allowing them to develop that canter with nothing on their face, disturbing their balance. And that's why I use the round pen. Just let them learn how to canter, let them clock up some, some transition, let them get confident with it. 
and um, and then you set them up. Then you put them online and you start enforcing something on their face and you start enforcing a, a line or a shape on them and allow them to get confident and balanced with that in the pace. And then you go sit on their back, okay, when they've got that natural kind of, they've developed, not the natural, they've developed more balance and confidence and practice at the gate. Yeah. So that can stop a heap of problems um, with those horses. So lots of people come to me with cantering problems that their horse just falls off and, and races off in canter, the cobs that just charge off in canter. They're charging off for a number of reasons, right? One, they're just not balanced at the canter, Yeah. right? So they, they're balancing themselves by throwing themselves onto the forehand. Two, their confirmation type or whatever has meant that they're you know, or something's made that they, they do for more balance putting themselves onto the forehand and not using their hindquarters or they could be sore in the back and things like that. Yeah. It's also the reason why they get heavy in the hand um, because they're boring, they're push, pulling themselves, they're pulling because they're, yeah, yeah. they're like they're on their the driving forehand. type. They're driving types as well. So they, they pull. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're pushing, they're pulling themselves onto the forehand. They're not using their hindquarters. And what unfortunately happens is that people get these horses, they start, they, they have, they're trying to canter, the canter gets kind of all out of control. The horses would just trot more. And then, of course, what do they do with their hands? Try to pull them up. Yeah. And then you got contact issues as well. And these horses will tend how they'll deal with contact issues is they'll just drive more into that pain to really hold themselves onto that forehand. And um, and that's all absolutely fixable, but you got to get off their back, teach them to canter, and then you got to deal with the – teach them to canter, get them confident with it, and then you'll see, you know, these horses can very easily learn to lope and to canter very slow and, um, you know, and to do canter walk transitions and all those types of things, you've got, you've got yep. to allow them to get balanced in canter first and then um, get balanced with someone sitting on their back yep. and get very confident at the gate and then you've got to um, fix their mouths up, okay, yep. because they've just learnt to, they, they pull, they pull for two reasons, they pull to not, to, to not shift their weight behind, they want to go on the forehand, they want to pull themselves instead of push. Yep. And then they're doing it as well because the person's normally hanging off their face, <laughs> trying to stop them. Which is you know? fair sometimes. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. But it's, 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 you know, and as I show people, people who come to me with their cobs that are these rushy pulley and they struggle with canter and I'll put the horse in the round pen and I'll show them, look at that, that horse is struggling to canter without you even sitting on its back. Yeah. What do you think that poor horse experiences? It's not its its not its thing, right? It's not its canter's not its its thing. It's, a, it's got this amazing trot and a great gallop. Why the hell does it have to canter, right? And then it, so it struggles with it. It's unbalanced. It's, it's, it's going faster because of this, um, this unbalance. And then you're going to go sit on it and pull on its face. And you yeah. think that's going to help it? And you're wondering why you're having troubles? I don't say it like that. I'm much nicer. <laughs> you, you end up but ruining all your aids in the process. Yeah, you do. And then you end up worrying the, the horse gets anxious. Yeah. And then you got all the anxiety to deal with. So that's why Welsh Cobs and Welsh Cross Crosses sit in my top five of my problem horses. 
is when you get them good though they're so much fun man these horses have heart and that's why i adore them and i had the most amazing rosh cob called gift and i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for him um he gave me a lot of fun um he taught me a lot lot of lessons but yeah i I did a lot of cruel things to to him (laughs) out of ignorance and that's why him that little horse suffered a lot for me um he taught me a hell of a lot and um but that horse had so much heart he was not athletic at all but highly (laughs) trainable but had this amazing try on him and he would um, he would always do even though he wasn't conformed and he was this funny little long this long short legged fat little creature um, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun on him and he could do quite well in dressage because he had such it was so trainable and so much heart yeah that he would be like he was so with me and so obedient to me that, you know, the more expensive fancy pants horse would freak out at the flower pots and he wouldn't. Yes. And, yeah, and he just allowed me to learn how to train, you know, learn how to train and and he was so forgiving and adaptable and trainable when I started doing things better. Yeah, he taught me so much. But his heart was massive. Massive, massive heart. That thing about horses is those things we talk about as athleticism, trainability and heart. Yeah. And Welsh cobs have massive hearts. So, yeah, they can well punch above their, you know, above their above their grade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's the other breed I wanted to have a chat about. What about you? Any others? Anything else you want to talk about? Um. <laughs> We could talk about Shetlands because I think they're like the opposite of quarter horses. <laughs> Often you come across them and everyone's like they're they're like the devil reincarnated. But I think that's because people get little horses when they're young and they're cute and they let them get away with such naughty things and they never teach them basics and they never teach them manners and then they grow into these older ponies that still think they're adorable and can get away with murder and they, oh, then they try and put pers- kids on yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, but they're also persecuted by children as well. Oh, yes. They kind of like say something horrifying. You ready, everyone listening? I'm going to say something horrifying. There's only something worse than when you learn to see the discomfort of horses and you learn to really understand what they're saying and what they're meaning at a different level. And, yes, it can make going to horse shows hard and, you know, the discomfort there's something actually only worse there's actually an uh, a worse life for an animal and that's a dog and when you yeah. get to see what dogs experience at the hands of children and all the little coping mechanisms that they develop and you know and the aggressiveness and stuff they have especially little dogs yeah you get to see it so you know little dog syndrome that growls and barks at you know growls at you know, the little kid and stuff like that. It's the same as the, you know, the Shetland that's pushing the kid out of the road or running off or whatever. These are yeah. little animals. They're smaller animals that are responding to being, you know, tortured by people and little kids without yeah. – and it's not done deliberately. It's no. ignorance. It's but, just naivety yeah. too. Yeah, it's naivety and ignorance and, um, and also – the other little thing about Shetlands and stuff when they're um, 
own by kids. Kids don't know necessarily what they're doing, so they're applying pressure and releasing it, and they're teaching things that they don't they don't they don't understand. They don't they're mean teaching. to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like one little girl with a dog just recently that that told me that she really loved her little dog, even though the little dog kind of growls at her every time it goes near it. She just really loves a little dog. It's just like a toy, but it's <laughs> it's just like a toy. Oh gosh! It's just like a toy, and um, but it's just like a toy. But you have to feed it. That's what she told me. Oh. <laughs> it's like, like oh wow! But it's the same with the horse. They think they're just like a horse. They don't understand that they're thinking, breathing, feeling animals. They just see their own of what do they want to do, um, and that's the driver. They don't have developed that theory of mind yet to be able and it's called theory of mind in to be able to um, project it on and and humans develop theory of mind for other humans but it's that theory of mind to another non-human species that's at another level of being able to understand what you're doing to that horse or that dog might actually not be comfortable to it yeah um, so I think that's where Shetlands, and again, you know exactly what you said, that Shetlands are the opposite of the quarter horse world, how Shetlands get the bad reputation called Shetlands. Yep. But it's because they come from the world of little kids. They're just not prepped appropriately for the no. life that they're going to live. No, exactly. Exactly. All the things that you said, they're, they're smaller and little so they can be manhandled like a dog. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you can manhandle them more so you can get away with more. But at the same time, what you're doing is that you're subjecting that horse to manhandling it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you wonder why it bites you and kicks you and runs off on you. <laughs> yeah. Because it gets so threatened and it ends up having to defend itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so poor little Shetlands, poor little Shetlands, (laughs) highly trainable, again, just like any other horses, but the world they come from sets them up with some some problems. Absolutely. Should we end that about there? Yeah. I think think we're going to have to keep going. We can keep going. Maybe we'll have to with these, we'll do a call if anyone else has anything (laughs) else of any particular breed because it's like, you know, what do you want to talk about now? There's so many (laughs) and there's so much. There is, there's so many ways, but yeah, it all comes down to the point of like the more you understand the horse, you can interpret it better, you can make better decisions in training and you can set that horse up um, to actually become willing and confident and all those things that you absolutely desire it to be and you to have a lot of fun and not be frustrated. Because frustration is just a sign that you don't understand. You've read it wrong. You've made bad decisions. You've run out of knowledge. That's right. Don't beat yourself up. Just go find out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kat, good to talk to you and I'll talk to you again. Sounds good. Okay, see ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Canter Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Canter Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr. Shelley Appleton, Horse Training Coach. Or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.